as children grow up and begin to be around others, what's one lesson that we try to teach them early on? Especially when it comes to, let's say, playtime. That they're to what? That they're to share. And so this morning, I want to start with a story that is about my daughter. When she was in kindergarten. She was in kindergarten, and it was just like any other day. And so I don't remember, sometime that morning, we got a call that Katie had gotten into some trouble and that she had stabbed another child during playtime. And so we're like, my goodness, what? Like, she stabbed somebody? Like, what is going on? And so because at that time we had checked that uh, we would allow them to administer corporal punishment, which means a paddling, she had the option of either being suspended or being paddled. And so in that moment... We said, well, paddle it, right? Well, lo and behold, as time went by and as we got her and we got to talk to her teacher, we realized that Katie did not stab someone, that there was no blood involved, the skin was not broken, but she was playing with another little girl, an African-American little girl, and she had scratched her somehow when they were playing in the play center and it left a mark on her skin. And so she went to the principal's office and the teacher apologized profusely because she wished that we would have known more of the story or that um, something else would have happened. And so I share that story with you this morning to just start off by saying that life isn't fair. One of the best quotes I ever heard about life not being fair is that fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. And so, Katie, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that you experienced that. What did it teach us as parents? As parents, it taught us to ask better questions, to slow down. But you see, sometimes you suffer and you experience pain because of other people. And sometimes no fault of your own. And so this morning, what does God have to say about suffering and shame? Well, I invite you as we continue our study of 2 Timothy, I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of 2 Timothy, sandwiched between 1 Timothy and Titus. And I want us to look this morning at verse 8. Simply looking at one verse. As we dive into this verse, if you're just joining us this morning or just as a reminder, we see here that Timothy is preaching to his apprentice, to his fellow pastor, Timothy, a young man in the ministry who is coming behind him. And he is encouraging him to make sure that he understands God's will for his life and that the peace and mercy and grace come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he's to serve with a pure conscience, that he's to remember others in his prayers, that he is to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. And as we talked about last week, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So this morning we pick up in verse 8. 
you'll find these similar words. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now let's begin to unpack this particular verse. As we see, Paul says, therefore, as I've told you time and time again, as you read, especially in the New Testament letters, and you see the word therefore, you have to look back. You have to go back. He is basically pointing us as readers some 2,000 years later. He's pointing us back to what he said in the opening of his letter. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, we need to remember that these are his final words. This is his his heartbeat. Is what he wants to share as he knows that he is headed towards his death that he has been persecuted and that he is going to be killed for his faith so as we read the remainder of this letter we need to listen with that in mind and so he says therefore then he says do not be ashamed do not be ashamed this morning as we began this and and brother bill uh, saw in the bulletin he said Uh, Do not be ashamed. He said, I'm surprised you're not preaching 2 Timothy 2.15. You know, and that is, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You see, for Brother Bill, that verse is very key because that is what was foundational for the Awana program. But Bill, we're not to chapter 2 yet, so we got to get through chapter 1. So this morning we're looking at... Verse 8, and as I read this, and he's saying, do not be ashamed. Well, Paul, as I just told you, is going to tell Timothy later. He also told the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, for what? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Peter wrote, as he wrote his letter, In 1 Peter 4, verse 16, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we're not to be ashamed. We're not to be ashamed to be believers. But as I was praying, as I was preparing, the word shame jumped out at me. We're not to be ashamed, but I think at the root of being ashamed is the word shame. The American Heritage Dictionary says that shame is a painful emotion caused by the belief that one is or perceived by others inferior or unworthy of affection or respect because of one's actions, thoughts, circumstances, or experiences. That's what shame does to us. Shame can hold us back. Shame can keep us from going into difficult conversations and into difficult places. As a minister of the gospel, I have struggled with shame. I look at my past and I say, how could God use someone like me? How could God use someone who's done the things that I've done? Shame will keep us down. It holds us back. It causes us to look down on ourselves. And as we define that this morning, you think about that. When someone is struggling with shame, they feel unworthy of affection or respect because of something they've done. Can I remind you this morning that that shame knows your name, but so does Jesus. 
And can I also remind you that shame doesn't define you, your shame, your Savior does. So shame may know your name, but so does Jesus. And don't allow your shame to define you because your Savior does. Just because you have a past and you might feel unworthy, remember this. God uses people with a past. He uses people who have failed, who have messed up, who have fallen on hard times. You know, even that's the thing that I love about God's word is because it doesn't leave out the warts. It doesn't leave out the blemishes. It doesn't leave out the imperfection of God's people. As we think this morning on the subject of shame and we think of people who had passed, I just want to call your attention and remind you of some of the people that God used who had a past. First, God used Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was going after killing and throwing Christians in jail. He he was speaking out against the church. But then our infinite father, who has is so much wiser than we are, took a man who persecuted the church. He met him on that old Damascus road and he set him on the right path. He opened his eyes and he used him. Three-fourths probably of the New Testament is written by Paul. So Paul was someone who hated Christians, who persecuted the church, but whom God used to build the church. God used Paul. I think about David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms that we enjoy. We hear into his heart. But David was an adulterer. And then as I was making notes, I wrote about the harlot in the hall of faith. In the chapter of faith. And so I began to turn and I read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, where the writer of Hebrews mentions Rahab. Now the thing that's fascinating about Rahab is they just call her sin for what it is. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. God used a prostitute. God used Moses. Moses led his people to the promised land, right? He didn't get to go with them, but he led them through the wilderness. He led them through the desert. He brought them out of captivity with Egypt. But Moses was a murderer. Moses murdered a man. Noah, God used him to build the ark. Noah was a drunkard. And then we see in the New Testament as Jesus sits by the well that he talks with the Samaritan woman. She was married five times and living with her boyfriend. Do you think that she struggled to find love? Do you think that she struggled with shame? Sure. So God used a persecutor, an adulterer, a prostitute, a murderer, a drunkard. To accomplish his will. And I want to remind you this morning that God can use anybody for anything. He just needs a willing vessel. Right? You have to be in that mode to where you have to 
hear that still small voice. And you have to look at your shame for what God says that it is. Then we see, so Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of what? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. So what do we know about the testimony of our Lord? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is, there is uh, verses there that really in, in one verse, two verses, that you see the gospel in and of itself. If you look here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. That is the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to what scripture said, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And the thing that we must remember as Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy was ministering in a messed up place. He was ministering in Ephesus, which Paul had ministered there too. And it was Sin City. It had the Temple of Diana where there was just sin was corrupt and sin was running rampant. And so Paul is here encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging us that we must push through the opposition and the suffering that comes as we share the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is what saved you. Amen. The gospel in essence is the testimony of our Lord and it is good news. If you have some good news, you want to share it. Amen. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. As we think about the testimony of our Lord, I have to just, I wrote two things out beside that witness and experience. You know, as you share your testimony, you can only share what you have personally experienced, what you have witnessed in your life. Friends, there has to have come a time when there was your life before Jesus and there's your life after Jesus. That, in a nutshell, is your testimony. All of us should have an elevator version of our testimony. Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't use too many churchy words. But who were you before Jesus and who are you now since you've met Jesus? That is your testimony. Go and share it. Then we see, he says, but share in suffering. As I prepared to preach and teach this message this morning, this is not a popular message in 2020. Amen. This is not a message. This is not going to be a popular message anytime that it is preached because what suffering we've got to suffer for the gospel. What does it mean to share in suffering? Paul is saying, join with me in suffering. Friends, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to join in the suffering for the furtherance of the gospel. He's saying share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's that word again, power. The power of God. Can I remind you that Paul's invitation is a sober reminder of what it truly means to follow Jesus? 
were to share in suffering. As I was preparing, one of the first things that immediately I wrote in my notes is I began to study ashamed and suffering. Suffering and shame. And it took me back to an old hymn. It it took me back to the cross. Do you remember the words of that song, the old rugged cross? It was the emblem of suffering and shame. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for the world of lost sinners was slain. Listen, friends, Jesus took the suffering and shame that was meant for you so that you wouldn't have to. That's what the cross is all about. And isn't it lovely, isn't it beautiful that our Lord took an emblem of suffering and shame that the world had and he made it something beautiful. That's exactly what he does with you and I. He takes our suffering, he takes our shame, he takes our scars, he takes our blemishes, and he uses broken people. He uses people with a past. He uses people to accomplish his will. We're not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor Paul his prisoner, but we're to share in suffering what? For the gospel. For the gospel. And how are we to do that? We're to do it by the power of God. I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time it cost you for following Jesus? When was the last time it cost you something for following Jesus? In the last few weeks, I've talked about a few folks that are suffering for the sake of the gospel. A group called Open Doors this Bible app that I'm using, they share about people around the world who are experiencing suffering as believers. And I thought about the world we look, we live in, and there's a lot of debate right now in certain parts of our country that because people aren't being allowed to go to church, that they're suffering. Mm, I don't know about that. But I, but I look, I look around the world and I look at what ministries like the Open Doors is doing and what they're sharing about. And listen to some of the statistics that they gave on their website. Just in the last year, over 260 million Christians live in places of high levels of persecution. In the last year, nearly 3,000 Christians have been killed because of their faith. In the last year, more than 9,400 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. In the last year, more than 3,700 believers have been detained without trial. They've been arrested, they've been sentenced, and they've been imprisoned. 
Why? For their faith. Remember what I said about Paul? His invitation is a sober reminder of what it truly means to follow Jesus. I want to share with you two stories this morning of people who are suffering because of their faith. Yunji, a brave North Korean, escaped to China and she came to faith and is growing as a believer because of a women's ministry, because of a Bible study, because people were are meeting people where they are. But it wasn't long she was imprisoned and she risked being sent back to North Korea. Open doors and others called for there to be prayer. They prayed. And they prayed. And lo and behold, she was released. Yunji, her deportation was delayed. And she was reunited with her husband and her son. So, so you think about that this morning. Like, we come here freely and, and we, we come here and it's like, man, I gotta get up. And I gotta drive across town to go sit in another message and hear that guy ramble on for a few more minutes. Is it supper time yet? Is it lunch time yet? Is the buffet ready yet? But there are others around the world who are suffering because of their faith. They've been pulled away from their husband, from their children, from their families. They've been imprisoned. But they've laid it all on the line because of Jesus. Another one, Kirti. An example of unshakable faith in India. Kirti and her husband left the village's Hindu faith, which usually has catastrophic consequences. They face severe, severe persecution. So much so that Kirti's husband was brutally tortured and killed. Kirti and her children fled to a safe house. They found grace. They found someone to minister to their brokenness. They found someone to be there to love them through that heartache, through that pain. And I want you to know that Kirti has since returned to the village who killed her husband to share her faith in Jesus. You see, friends, there are people like Kirti and Young Ji who are sharing their faith. They're suffering for their faith. They face the shame and persecution of following Jesus. There's coming a day that it will be Suffering and shame to follow Jesus in America. If it's not already here, already. I really struggle with this message because sometimes you just don't know if you got all the pieces together. Right? You just don't know if you really see the big picture of what God wants to say. And so as I was reading, I read something by Paul David Tripp. He is the Oswald Chambers of our day. If you've ever read anything by Oswald Chambers, you kind of have to say, do what? 
Like, Lord, just give me one nugget of wisdom. And that's usually the case for me with Paul David Tripp. But let me listen. I want you to listen to what he says about suffering. He says, your responses to the situations in your life, whether physical or relational or circumstantial, are always more determined by what is inside your heart than by the things you are facing. You never come to your suffering empty-handed. You always drag a bag full of experiences, expectations, assumptions, perspectives, desires, intentions, and decisions into your suffering. What you think about yourself, life, God, and others will profoundly affect the way you interact with and respond to the difficulty that comes your way. That's why the writer of Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. He asks this question, says, what are you carrying around in your soul that has the potential to complicate your suffering? What are you preaching to yourself that could allow you to forget the truths of the gospel? Never forget, no matter what painful thing you're enduring, as God's child, it's impossible for you to endure it all by yourself. The one who created this world and rules it with wisdom, righteousness, and love is in you, with you, and for you. And nothing has the power to separate you from his love. When was the last time it cost you for following Jesus? Friends, you might have to turn off Madlock or The Price is Right. You know, thank God we live in a society now that it's on demand. If you miss it, you can just go back and watch it. You don't have to be at home on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock or, you know, every day at noon to watch some show. You can watch it whenever you want to. You might have to not go out to eat to contribute to an offering to make a difference. I've heard a lot of times, you know, as we took up offerings before on the gift cards for Croswell in past years. Maybe the gift that you give, maybe you cut out going to lunch on Sunday afternoon and you make yourself something at home. Is that much of a sacrifice? No, but it's still costing you something. You had to think about it. You had to make that substitution. You had to look at that in your mind and say, what am I willing to give up? That God's love may be shown to others. You might have to postpone a trip you've been planning. You might risk the chance of getting sick. I think about the story a few weeks ago when our neighbor across the street called and her husband is bad, was battling COVID and had lung cancer and she had brain cancer and she calls and she calls Kendall's phone and she says, I've got to take him to the hospital. Will you watch our little girl? Kendall said yes, but my response after that was, what about COVID? What about you going to see your grandmother? What about if you share that? And so the thing was, she put some things into place that day, and she stayed socially distanced, and the little girl wore her mask, and Kendall wore hers, but how could you say, no, I'm not going to help you? 
But then to hear the heart of a child say, I just want there to be a time that I can play with my daddy. He had had cancer and she couldn't be with him. He had COVID and she couldn't be with him. And all that little girl wanted to do was to be and to play with her daddy. You see, friends, sometimes like that, it stops you in your tracks and it reminds you what you're going through pales in comparison to someone else. You might have to be inconvenienced. You might have to be delayed. There might come a time when you got to help somebody, when you got to stop and have a conversation with somebody, and it's going to throw your day off track. But are you going to be obedient? Are you going to cheat one thing that you may and sacrifice one thing so that something else may get your attention so that God's love can flow through you? Listen, friends, shame can hold us back and suffering can knock us down. As I wrote in my notes, I'm very visual sometimes. And so I I like I can't I can't draw, but. I do have lines and and draw arrows and circle things. But as I wrote in my notes, I wrote shame. And and I wrote a down arrow. That shame can make us look down. It, It can make us hang our head. It can make us look down on ourselves. And then I wrote the word suffering. And sometimes in our suffering, what? We can look down, but I I would... If we took a show of hands this morning, when we suffer, we have the tendency to do what? Look up. So I wrote an up arrow. And as I stared at those things on the page, shame makes us look down. Suffering makes us look up. There was a gap right between those two arrows. And I thought of Jesus. Because in the middle of those two arrows, we find Jesus. We find who we are in Him. You see, friends, when we see God for who He is, you can see your life for what it is. That it is a testament to His goodness and His greatness. You know, the preacher of preachers in our time was Billy Graham. And in his autobiography that he wrote towards the very end of his life called Just As I Am, he penned these words, suffering is part of human the human condition. And it comes to us all. The key is how we react to it. Either turning away from God in anger and bitterness or growing closer to Him in trust and confidence. Somewhere else along the way in His ministry, He wrote that Christ did not suffer and die to offer cheap grace. Jesus did not willingly go to the cross so that we could have an easy life or live a faith built on easy believism. He mentioned, as someone once said, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. And then lastly, one other nugget that he shared 
He says it takes suffering to widen the soul. It takes suffering to widen the soul. As we talked this morning about suffering and shame, that we may share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Friends, you are invited. Paul is giving you an invitation into the real life of what Jesus has for you. Friends, you're invited to see shame for what it really is. You're invited to share the good news. You're invited to suffer for the gospel. Friends, you're invited to see the power of God at work in your life. Share in the gospel by the power of God. You're invited to see the power of God at work in the lives of others. And friends, can I remind you this morning...